Sunday, so we're just switching gears a little bit for this morning. Um, and so we're going to go through, well, it's you know, kind of crazy, huh? Okay, Dusty's working on technical difficulties. It's getting better. Even as I talk, I can sense it getting better. You got it? Good, good. Welcome. All right, awesome. Well, glad I know some of you who are watching online, we had a little bit of a hiccup, so I think we are good to go now. So, all right, well, we're going to be looking at a message that I've entitled this morning called The Overcomers. And so I'm going to pray and then get right into this morning's message. So, Father, we just come to you now, God, and we need to hear from you this morning, Jesus. We pray that you would speak to us, God. Lord, many of us are definitely, I, I would, would sense, are, are overwhelmed with um, all that's been going on this past week, um, not just in our community, in our country, but some of us even in our own personal lives. And so, Father, we need to hear from you this morning, Jesus. Teach us how to respond to these things. So, God, speak. Lord, give us ears to hear, Lord, what your Spirit wants to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit, Father. And we thank you for this time, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I normally, just in case you notice, I normally don't wear t-shirts for Sunday morning because I feel it's a little bit somewhat informal, but um, I ordered some shirts uh, for, our, for some of the guys who've been serving and I couldn't help but wear this because this has been needed to be said since the very get-go that Jesus is essential. And so, yeah, man, praise the Lord. So this morning, as we get into our message, you know, as I think about last week, and really as we were celebrating uh, Pentecost, as we were celebrating the Spirit of God coming down upon His church, which I believe is really a solution to the heartbreak for our community, our country, um, this week as we've wrestled, you know, with things going on in our own community, as things have been getting more intense, and even in our state, and our country, um, it just really, uh, I went to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and it's really some verses that I've been wrestling with this past week. And so as I've been thinking about that, especially as things are getting heady, hitting heavier out there, as I think about, you know, the coronavirus, obviously that's still in full effect. We're in modified quarantine, so we're getting a little bit excited for sure. Uh, but then as I think about just this perfect storm that has definitely been brewing. I think of, uh, obviously, the death of George Floyd and how awful that was. Then I think about the, the, just the nationwide uh, protests that have been happening. Um, and, then, and then after all that, you had, you know, these, what started to be, I believe, peaceful demonstrations then turned into, you know, a hijacking by those who are just wanting to create violence and looting um, and destruction. And then sadly, you know, you have this message of a cry for justice and equal treatments for all black people, right? Drowned out because of all that. But then you start having this chant from, you know, Black Lives Matter and so forth. And then all of a sudden, you know, this racial discussion starts coming to the forefront once again. And we're talking about these things. And, and again, I think in some cases, rightly so, right? Because... You know, as you, as you think about that cry and that desperate, you know, wanting, you know, that discussion to become the forefront. And then we have other people who are crying out, well, all lives matter. And then all of a sudden we've got these political sides and two sides of, of, of people just really starting to erupt. Um, and then all this discussion and all these things that and some good and some bad kind of start to become drowned out, if you will, from some real rational discussion, because 
There's so much hurt. There's so much yelling that's just coming across the aisles, if you will. But then as I think about, as I step back and then I think about the church, we as the church, as followers of Jesus, I think, you know, really, um, we have to come with a clear and definite response as the church. And, and it, to me, it's obvious, it's clear that yes, obviously, black lives do matter. They do matter as people created by God, right? And, and just like as I think about even us as, as a people, not just a race, but then as a people, obviously, all lives matter because we see that in full effect with Jesus. I mean, that's the whole reason Jesus came to planet Earth. Right to suffer, to die for all humanity. And then as you wrestle with, well, this whole thing of races, I know we don't want it to be about race, and, and sometimes I think even foolishly, we can, see, we can say, well, I don't see color. And you know, I think that's stupid too, because obviously, as a result of the fall of mankind, we do see different colors, we do see different races, and so forth. But as I think about all those voices that are really crying out during this time, I believe there's a third voice that, that is crying out even louder than all those other voices. And that, that third voice, I believe, is the voice of Jesus. And so then how do we respond as followers of Jesus? Or what should be our response to the things that are going on in our country, in our community? Because more than our country, more than, than, than our state or even the world... We, as followers of Jesus, belong to something greater. And it's the thing that, I, I, again, I have to keep going back because like you, right, I get stirred up and I get upset and I get angry and I get frustrated and all these things. But our citizenship as a human beings, right, lasts way longer than the citizenship that we are a part of right now. And it's our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so then we're called as a community, as followers of Jesus. Man, to, to be a part of something great. I remember years ago, years ago, when I first came to Jesus, you know, um, you know I was part of a, a fellowship and um, that fellowship was predominantly Hispanic. And I thought, okay, well, I live in a Hispanic neighborhood. And so that kind of makes sense. And we're doing our thing, you know, and, and you know, trying to be followers of Jesus. But then over time, I, I noticed that there was definitely a bent, even within our own fellowship, of wanting to, to cause the Hispanic people to, I don't know, rise up or something, you know, and... And be a part of this and that and so forth. And all of a sudden it became all about, especially my pastor at the time, about being a part of the, the National Republican Hispanic Society and all this kind of thing that was going on and so forth. And then, and, then, and again, please don't misunderstand me. It's, I'm not saying it's bad to be part of politics, but what happened in that fellowship is that it became all about politics. And then it became all about the Hispanic cause. And then it became about, our pastor then started running for uh, uh, local governments. And then he wanted to go and start running for the Senate. It became all about this. And I just got overwhelmed because I, as a young follower of Jesus, I'm like, I'm just wanting. I was a drug addict. I was messed up. And now Jesus has saved me. So I want to get into that. And it started going in this way. And I remember... Um, 
I, I left that fellowship because I started listening to, incidentally, this Hispanic guy on the radio, right, by the name of Raul Reese. But he wasn't like a lot of the Hispanics that I was listening to in that local area. Man, he just kept bringing Jesus. He just kept preaching Jesus. And I was like, what is this? Because he was teaching me things from the scriptures that were blowing me away. And so I remember going uh, uh, one time, I finally, you know, had the courage to tell my pastor, like, hey, I just, I have all these questions and whatnot, and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this other church. And, you know, he got upset at me and so forth. And I went there and uh, went to the church, and I show up, and it was not like a church. Well, I guess it wasn't any better, because the church that we were in, that little Pentecostal church, was, was basically in a garage. Okay, so then I go into this church, I was like, okay, well, this isn't any better. It's a daycare center. You know, with all the toys lined up on the sides of the walls. And here we are, just in the middle of the daycare center. And then it took me about five minutes to kind of get over my pastor's looks. Because here he was, this short guy with a flat top, um, white as can be, with a super dark, black as can black can be, pastor's wife. And I thought, okay, now we're really getting into this. Like, here's a white guy and a black lady, pastor's wife, and so forth. But then I just started to notice the diversity that was in that building. And it was black and white. And, and, and probably because, you know, it was in Universal City. It was in a, in a military town. And so, of course, there was all kinds of different people. But it began this journey of seeing the kingdom of God uh, of something greater than was in front of me. And so now as I look at and, and been studying the scriptures now for I don't know how many years now, for over 20 years now, I have to wrestle with all that we're seeing in light of the scriptures. And I really believe that here in Romans, one aspect, there's many more, but I think Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gives us a response to all the things that are going on. How we as followers of Jesus, right, are to be a part of that cause more than any other cause right now. To be a part of the cause of Jesus. And look what he says. And I think, you know, it was something that I shared with, with the guys on Wednesday night. But I just, after I read these verses in the closing of our Wednesday night live broadcast, if you will, I, I, I just, I couldn't get away from these passages because they were things that just kept going over and over and over. And look what Paul says this morning in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Look what he says here. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Beloved, 
do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God, speak to us as we look at these four things of really, as I said, to to be an overcomer. That's what I believe we're called to this morning. In, in, In response to everything that's going on, to be overcomers. And as we look at that, there's four things that I want to focus in on this morning. And I think as we look at that, I really believe love, right? He starts off this section of verses, right? Your scriptures might... Uh, have the subtitle, uh, behave like a Christian or live like a Christian or something like that. But you have this one line in there that says, let love be without hypocrisy. And as I think about that word love, I believe that love is the engine, right, that pushes us forward, that drives us to this response of being an overcomer in the middle of all this. That's the voice that we have. And so one, love has no room for pretenders. Two, love shows empathy. Three, love carries no debts. And then four, love turns us into overcomers. And so the first thing we're going to look at, and gosh, as you look at this, I mean, what what a a to-do list, if you will. I mean, we can almost look at it that way, but I would also then, in the back of your mind, keep this. In that as we think about Jesus, because I don't want it to make it me-centric. I want to make sure that it's Jesus. It's central to who Jesus is. Even as he calls us to behave and to live this way, understand that it can only come as we allow Jesus to live in us and through us. Right? Because that, that's the call for us as followers of Jesus. Right? The old man is dead who we were. I mean, that, that's really what, what Paul has been leading up to this whole time, especially as you look in chapter 12 and then even in, towards the end of verse 11, verse 11, he's asking, or chapter 11, he's asking us to really give grace to the children of Israel because they rebelled, right? They, they rejected who Jesus is, right? And he gives them, you know, and you get, it, you get into that whole thing, right? Because chapters 10 and 11 gets into that whole replacement theology, right? Of like, you know, Israel must be done. Therefore, the church has replaced Israel and all the promises of God. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no way. The callings of God, they're irrevocable. God still has a plan for them. God gave them mercy when they didn't deserve it, just like you have obtained mercy when you didn't deserve it. Right? That, that's how he's leading up to chapter 12. And then you get into these famous verses, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beg you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to live your lives as a living sacrifice. And so all of a sudden there you realize, man, the old man has died. The old Joe has passed away. All that I used to be, all that, that really got me into the place where I finally realized I needed Jesus has all been dead, been killed. And so he calls you now, right? You are dead, and so now I breathe life into you. So then be a living sacrifice. 
What does sacrifice mean? All right, right? Well, sacrifice entails that we are, we are giving up something. We're, 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 we're giving up something that maybe we think we need or something that we think we deserved. And, and many of you who have raised children and, and, and who have built businesses, you guys have all had a taste of sacrifice, right? I mean, from small decisions to big decisions to, to knowing and savoring that that one last popsicle, man, that is yours when the kids are down. And then you forget about it the next day. And then you, go, you see your little kid reaching into the box to pull out the last popsicle. And you're like, mm-hmm. and you have a choice. You can either take it away from the little kid and make him cry. Or you just do your duty as a parent. You're like, I'll just go buy another one. Because he can't and I can't. <laughs> right? We all deal with sacrifice. And here, Paul, as he gets into this, right, we're recognizing that the life of a follower of Jesus is one of Jesus is one full of sacrifice. Why? Because here Paul says it's the least that we can do. Because we were a people who did not have mercy and have now obtained mercy. So so that that's like the thrust, that's the the catapult that pushes us forward. And then I think that brings us to this part even here. To let love then now be without hypocrisy. As as followers of Jesus. To let love be without hypocrisy. To let love be unfeigned. Right? To, to let it go and to, you know, again, when we think of hypocrisy, obviously we're, you know, the word comes from the stage, right? The, the, the play actor who, who can put on a mask. I'm sure you've all have seen those, right? That's why, you know, in today's culture we have that when you look at those masks with the different facial expressions, we know that it's a symbol of the stage or of acting or playing, right? Because we go on stage and then we become something we're not. And here, when in regards to love, there's a call for us that says love has no room for pretenders. That love has no room for being hypocritical. I believe that love really becomes real love when we are tested. Tested by it. Because I think we all know, I think we all... We all have people that we love and I think that we all have people that, it, that it's uh, very comfortable to be around and those are the people that are very easy somewhat right to love family you learn to love because you have no choice you're born into that and so then you grow and you develop relationships and so forth but when then that love becomes tested when it starts to then challenge us to be around people that maybe we don't necessarily agree with, and in some cases don't understand or, or can't comprehend where they're coming from. But as you notice that in all these things that we just read there, there is no stipulations, there is no caveats or anything like that. There's just simply a call for us as followers of Jesus to let love be without hypocrisy. To let love be without restrictions. Right? I mean, here, I mean, here, that's the call. That's the thing about love. 
It's a call to let it, re- or it has to really reflect who Jesus is. It cannot be filtered through a political party or an ideology, or because when we do, those filters can hinder what love should really look like. When you look at love in these aspects, especially through, through the heart of Jesus, I mean, think about the, the, there's so many different examples in the Gospels of Jesus loving people and meeting them where they're, where they're at. I mean, one of the most controversial things that we see about Jesus in the early Gospels is that he was considered a drunkard and a sinner. They, they couldn't grasp that Jesus would eat with drunkards and sinners and prostitutes. And that's heavy. Because how many of us, right, if we're honest with ourselves, would be comfortable or maybe uncomfortable with having dinner with a prostitute? I mean, it sounds intense. Like, like, hey, mom, dad, I was out in the streets and I met this lady and she's a prostitute. She needs to come. She needs to eat. Is it cool if she comes and just has dinner with us? No, many of us are like, no, 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 you didn't call. You should have called first. Because I have to set up this, or I have to clean that, or I should have, you know, I should have cleared out the dishes, or I should have finished this project or that project. There's a sense of, of, of being uncomfortable. But when you think about love, when you think about the big picture, man, it is, it is challenging. And right now, I think, you know, we get tested on it because, right, we're, we're constantly viewing the news right now. We're constantly reading the articles. We're, we're constantly looking into viewpoints that line up with our viewpoints. But there's a challenge for us. And, and, and again, for me too, there is a challenge for me to stop looking at all these viewpoints right now. But to look at the one viewpoint of Jesus. Right? What does Jesus say about these things? What is, how does Jesus call us to respond to these things? So that love becomes this thing that's, that's void of hypocrisy. This is open. And again, please don't misunderstand me. Right, right? We, we deal with, we wrestle with sin. I'm not just saying that we just, you know, that we're, you know, that we just, you know, we're okay and passive about sin. But over and over again, sin always comes. As you look at the scriptures, sin always comes into play. I mean, Jesus deals with those things. But first and foremost, he deals with the invitation of just come. Come, let, let them experience, right? The woman caught in adultery, right? The prostitute who came and, and who sat at the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her hair and his tears. I mean, that, that makes for a very uncomfortable situation. Right? I mean, obviously he's God, but to have someone like that that's just a wreck and a mess to come in and to express herself in that way, and from Jesus' point of view, to not look at her with disdain, but to see her as just someone who's broken and hurting, and then able to read the thoughts of the man. Man, if he knew 
who this woman was and what she was all about. There's no way he would let her do this. And what did he say? Why do you say this and this in your heart? He knew exactly where they're coming from. Right? There's a call for love and there, there is a distinction there because look what he says and here's just kind of like this, this list, if you will. Right? He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Right? That, that goes together uh, of hating. It's, it's where we get uh, uh, the word horror from. Yes, let evil be horrible to you. Right? The things that, that, that break the heart of God, the things that we see in our communities and the, and the injustices that are happening and when, when family members are sinned against, when we see wickedness infiltrating our homes and our children and our marriages and all these things, yes, obviously, abhor it, hate it, it's horrible. But then he doesn't call us to go and then just beat that evilness with a stick. Right? Obviously, the opposite happened. He didn't grab a stick and go beat the, the proverbial dead horse, right? We know the issue. The issue is sin. But in the economy of God, it went the other way around where we're taking a stick to beat the issues. Jesus is going and nailing himself to a stick and being laid to that to cure and to take care of this issue called sin. And so he says, look, hate what is sinful, right? Abhor what is evil. But here's our, our first response, right? As we think about this phrase of love has no room for pretenders, he says, cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. That, that's, that's our response, to cling to what is good, to be kindly affectionate to one another giving preference to one another. The, 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 the better wording of that is actually, it's actually, it, it speaks of leading the way. Or in this context, you could say, be an example of what love is. Be an example of what's leading the way, right? Giving preference to one another. Be kind All of these have sentiments of love, but especially in that one, of being an example. This is what, what love is. This is what love does. This is how love behaves. Right, and I just I think that, but not just I think I see in the scriptures once again this response and this duty for us as followers of Jesus more than anything to demonstrate love because people need that. People need to see what that looks like right now. There, there's there's so many conditions to it all the time right now. I think sometimes, and I don't think on purpose, but sometimes even we can fail that way. Sometimes even as parents, right? We're, you know, we're trying to raise our children and teach them what's right and what's wrong. And then we get upset at them. And then when they do well, we, you know, then we, we, we encourage them. And then when, when they do bad, we get mad and all these kinds of things. And again, there's, again, not taking away from the fact that there's training involved and there's discipline involved. But to combat the evil and the wickedness that's out there, that's among us, you have Paul here, just this clear distinction, and cling to what is good, and, and, and demonstrate, right, or be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Look at some of the things here that he has that speak of love. 
in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing, continually steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. It's almost like, like optimism has been baptized, if you will. Because there's like a holy optimism here. And that it's not just being optimistic for the sense of that, but it's because of who we are, because of what he's done, we can rejoice and be patient in tribulation and, and continue steadfastly in prayer and distributing to the needs of the saints and, and giving to hospitality. You have all these things that really lead to action. Right? There's love and action. Love and, 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 and there's a sense of, of busyness. Think about that right now. The driving force right now in, in, in many of our communities and even our country right now, right now, is anger, is hate, is frustration. And, 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 and another thing is kind of this side note is you just see this, this taking. People are just taking from one another. Whether it's robbing, like literally, legitimately robbing things. But then also social media robbing our patience, robbing our trust and our hope, just taking, robbing all these things. And here, love is all about giving. Where the, the fear and the enemy right now of the world and all the, 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 the wickedness is robbing, love then gives despite all these things. Despite all these things, it's this, you just see this action. Love is busy giving. And almost to the point where love is giving and we're called to be active so much so that we have no time for listening to the things that want to rob us of all of our affections and attentions and even within our own reason. I really believe for us as a church, right, there's no room for pretending. Love has no room for pretenders right now, right? That is, that is the third option. Now, again, I, I, I didn't make that up, right? It's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and then I just kind of like had this aha moment because one of the, the other verses that's just been rolling through my heart as I've been going through this and processing this my, myself is Jesus' commandment, right? When they came to Jesus and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? It's something that just keeps hitting me over and over and over, and he said, this is the greatest command, right? That you would love uh, God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, right? And then the second is like that, that you would, that you would love your neighbor as yourself, right? That you would love all your neighbors as yourself. That you would think of other people the way Jesus thinks of you, that we would then love and, and care in that way. And so it becomes, my, my, my understanding and this, then it's like that's the third option that needs to happen. That's the thing that I keep thinking about. And then yesterday I heard this message. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's called The Third Option. Um, and, it's, and it uses the same premise. It's, a, it's actually a book by Miles McPherson. And it's called The Third Option. And, you know, he's this black guy who was a uh, NFL. I think he played for San Diego Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, San, uh, yeah, San Diego Chargers. Now he's a pastor of San Diego. And he wrote this thing. And, and his whole premise for the book is this, this verse right here from Matthew. 
about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And he wrote this book several years ago, but it was, it's so, I think, and, and he spoke at our pastor's conference last year that I missed because I was overseas. So I listened to that message yesterday and it, just, it was just, again, once again, just, if anything, this confirmation that for us as followers of Jesus, the response for us as followers of Jesus, to be overcomers, to not let love be without hypocrisy. Look at the second thing. Love then shows empathy. Or you can even say sympathy as well. But look what he says there. And this is a challenge for many of us. Starting in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Man, what a challenge for us of having that, by the Spirit of God, the ability to try to understand and to share in and relate to someone else and what they're going through and what they've gone through. I mean, you've heard it said, you know, before about about learning, you know, even as kids, right? You can't really comment on situations unless you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes. And I really believe that's that's a Christian virtue for us as followers of Jesus. And I know this is challenging for us because, you know, one aspect, persecution, I think for the first time in a very long time, maybe at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, and we're trying to figure out how, how, how we interact with the state and wanting not the churches to gather in a building anymore. I think some of us thought, okay, maybe that's a taste of persecution, if you will. Um, maybe not, because like many of you, I haven't stopped sharing Jesus. No one's told me to come and stop sharing Jesus. But I think in many cases, many of us begin to kind of wrestle with this idea of, of, of blessing those who have persecuted us. But, but man, I can honestly say I haven't, I haven't really experienced that as a pastor yet. Being persecuted, righteously persecuted. I haven't. If you have, I would love to hear about it. But I would know at least probably in our circle, it's probably a rare thing. But yet, it doesn't negate the call for us to bless those who persecute us. Which, which in, in our mindset, right? In our mindset, even on our side, right? As just people, or, or even as Americans, man, we, we do want justice. You know, we, we want our rights to be made known. And we want those rights to be fully acted out. And yes, we have laws and we're going to obey those laws and so forth. But again, there is a difference, I believe, for the follower of Jesus here. To bless those who persecute us. But then even going further, and I think more of what the point was really hitting into, is that sense of just love being empathetic with people. Of just empathizing with all people. And trying to understand where they're coming from. I mean, we do it all the time, and I think we, again, going back to our whole kid situation, I think our wives have been trying to teach us that for a long time for many of us who've been married, right? Your kid comes running down the hill, he falls down, you know, just bloodies up his knee, and what do we as dads do? Ah, get up, kid, stick a piece of duct tape on it, you're fine. And then we go back to doing whatever else we're doing. 
But what do moms do? Man, they go over there and they run and they hear them, they listen and they, you know, they hold them and they go get out the first aid kit. And I'm like, I can't even see the cut and you're going to put a bandaid on him. Like, let's just go. Let's keep going, you know. But, but, but even in that, there's a sense of empathy that's happening. Right? For him, that little kid, it's real. The pain and the hurt that he's experiencing is real for him. It's hindered him from playing in the moment, you know. It's hindered him from doing the job that, that he was doing or whatever he was involved in. And yet for us, it's not just about our kids, but it's about our fellow human beings. Of just hearing where they're coming from. You know, I think, you know, as an adult, right, we go through some of that, even when maybe, you know, friends or family are struggling through marriage and so forth, right? We want to just listen, to just hear them out, right? And, I, and even in this, and maybe you've, you've gone through this even of late, you know, I, I don't know how many times, again, I've, I've been ready to, to post stuff and respond to stuff on Facebook. And then just delete the whole thing and say, forget it. Because I recognize, even in those moments, I haven't been listening. I haven't been listening. And some of us are like that, even with, with spouses, right? We're, we're listening to our spouses, but we're not really listening to them. We're waiting for them to take a breath so we can interject our thing. We're, we're waiting for the hint of pause so that we can say our part. So that they can hear us. But love here says no. Man, we listen. We rejoice. I mean, I, I really believe that's the idea when it comes to rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and weeping with those who are weeping. It's one of the, the, the best advices a pastor friend ever gave me when it came to dealing with, with death in the family or people who are hurting because they lost a loved one. Don't say anything. Just sit there and just cry with them and just listen to them. And that's it. That's all you have to do. If they want you to say something, they'll ask you. But all your job to do right now is to just weep with them. That's, that's, that's what they need right now. And so love, love shows empathy. Be of the same mind toward one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. There's always going to be somebody with a better opinion than you. There's always going to be somebody else like that, right? And it's a call for us to just take on this sense of humility. I, I'm guaranteeing that that's going to open way more doors to conversation. If we, again, take on this role, because that, again was the heart of Jesus. It's the whole reason why kids could run to Jesus. It's the whole reason kids could come and just sit with Jesus. And, and again, even the disciples couldn't grasp that, right? Because as they would come to him, you know, the, the, the kids, they were like, hey, just get back, get back. He's like, no, let him come. There was a sense, I believe, that Jesus, man, just sat with them and, and listened to these guys. Right? There was a sense of, of, of invitation there. Look at, look at the third thing. Love carries no debts. Love carries no debts. He says there in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 
And if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The call isn't about other people and what other people are doing. It's about us. And our own relationship with God, as much as it depends upon you, you be at peace with all men. Whether, again, saved or unsaved, whether follower of Jesus or not, whether they're from that side of the political party or not, let's have this opportunity to be a peacemaker. As much as it depends upon you, because, right, it takes two, you've heard it said, to tangle, right? Or, or it takes two to, to argue, but it only takes one to, to, to bring in peace, regardless of whatever the other person says or not. Look real quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and just by, just by way of reminder for us. And just 1 Corinthians 13, 1, look what he says there, Paul, again. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in inequity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And I believe in that sense, love carries no debts. Right? Love just gives because God gave His love. Love gives because God continually gives through us and in us. Love gives and carries no debts because, again, once again, we've all received mercy when we didn't deserve it. And so that love just gives. And, and it allows, and I know, again, this is, can be the hard one for us. Because some of us, I think a lot of us, and I think maybe it's just part of our human nature, right? We want to get love, but we want to see some sort of restitution first. We, we want to see something that's, that's, that's earned. They've done something to, to show that love. Or they've, they've changed their behavior, and so then I can, I can then give them their love. Or when my spouse begins to act this way, then I can, I can give that love. When, when that kid seems to deserve it, then I can give that love. But once again, and over and over again, we're faced with the giver. The overcomer, Jesus, who just gave without any promise of return. And all the debts that having been needed to be paid for have been done away with. And that he paid that debt. 
That debt that we owed that could never be paid back. Right? Love carries no debts. And then look at this last one real briefly as we get ready basically to close here. Look what he says there. Look, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I really believe that love causes us or helps us or turns us into overcomers. Why? Because, man, Jesus is the original overcomer. So as we respond to all that's going on in our community, all the the tension in our country, in our community, let, let this response be this, and that we take on this third option, and that we respond with the heart of Jesus. To love our neighbors as ourselves. All people are our neighbors. That means whether black, brown, white, red, or yellow, we are all called to love, right? We cannot allow love to be hypocritical even in the face of evil. Don't let evil overcome you. Instead, we're called then to overcome evil with good. And again, don't mistake this. It's not just our good, but it's the good of Jesus who overcame the original overcomer who came and and voluntarily gave himself to a sinful and wicked world. Right? So that he might overcome our real enemy and the enemy of sin the enemy of our souls the devil who is our enemy if you remember in Daniel we talked about that in the book of Daniel and how as we look at Daniel there is a minion there is an enemy that's sent to disrupt to cause division in the places that we live it's a spiritual battle that we're in We cannot mistake that, that the things that we're going through right now, that it overarching all these things is there is a spiritual battle. Paul said, and we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. That is our real enemy here. Not our neighbors, not Democrats, not Republicans, not the Black Lives Matter group, not the All Lives Matter group the enemy of our souls, that is the real enemy. And the only one to overcome that is Jesus. Jesus is the overcomer. And as we respond in the way of Jesus, man, we become overcomers. And for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you, God, and we prepare ourselves even now, Lord, as